Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am Doris Hansen, your host for the program. And we are grateful that you're sharing part of your evening with us, and we hope you enjoy what we had planned to share. And originally, we had planned on tonight's show to discuss the story in Matthew chapter 22 about the seven brothers who sequentially married the same woman, each one after the previous brother died. But because of an emergency in the family of one of our primary technical brains here, we have had to postpone that show for two weeks until November 29th. And so in two weeks we will do that show, but tonight we have to do something else. First of all, I want to announce that the Utah County Support Group for those who are leaving or questioning the Mormon faith is going to be next Tuesday, the 20th at 6 p.m. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's at the First Baptist Church in Provo, and the address is 1144 West Columbia Lane. Uh, that's the First Baptist Church in, in Provo. And those who are questioning or wanting to leave the Mormon faith, do need to have a support system to help you in your journey. You can telephone 801-374-8489 for more information, or you can email way61 at hotmail.com. You know, there are millions of people who believe that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. But was he? You know, there's one sure test to verify whether a man is a true or a false prophet. And that test is all his prophecies must come true precisely when and how he prophesied with no variation whatsoever or he's not a true prophet. And there are at least 53 documented prophecies that were given by Joseph Smith that failed. Now it only takes one false prophecy to reveal a false prophet. So Joseph Smith failed the test as a true prophet over 52 times. The excuse to to justify Joseph Smith's false prophecies that he had some bad days and sometimes spoke as a mere man, that excuse just doesn't fly. God himself gave us the guidelines by which we are to judge a false prophet and by God's guidelines, Joseph Smith failed. One very clear false prophecy that Joseph Smith made was on April 28th of 1842, and it concerned the newly organized Relief Society. And I will quote, it should go up on the screen as well. This is what he said, I now deliver it as a prophecy that before ten years shall roll round, the queens of the earth shall come and pay their respects to this society. They shall come with their millions and shall contribute of their abundance for the relief of the poor. Well, the queens of the earth never approached the Relief Society either to pay their respects or to contribute their millions. It just didn't happen. In fact, only two years after the Relief Society was formed and after Smith made this prophecy with a 10-year window, only two years and the Relief Society was disbanded and did not meet again for over 20 years. By this time, 
or by this prophecy, Joseph Smith proved himself again to be a false prophet. Now, this didn't make him a false prophet. He already was one. It only takes one false prophecy. Now, people might make excuses, like I said, for his false prophecies, but we're not supposed to. And God allows no excuses for any false prophecies. No excuses at all. On this show, we often go back into the history of original Mormonism because that's where the doctrine of Mormon polygamy had its beginning. And, of course, the beginner was Joseph Smith. And that fact connects the polygamy group with the Mormons, uh, whether each group likes it or not, the connection is there. Tonight, we want to talk about the polygamy connection with the original Relief Society. And as is true with almost everything Mormon, its basis was polygamy. Now, we're well aware that polygamy is not what the Relief Society is about today. And uh, we know that. And we are not even going to try to make it sound otherwise. Uh, we are strictly dealing tonight with the origins of the Relief Society. So please keep that in mind before you write us and accuse us of saying something different or that we meant something different. And don't forget that today's polygamy groups reflects original Mormonism. The resources I use to get the information for, for the most part uh, for the show tonight um, are from the books Nauvoo Polygamy by George D. Smith, Mormon Enigma by Newell and Avery, Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power by D. Michael Quinn, and Mormon Polygamy by Richard S. Van Wagner. Uh, and Solemn Covenant also is there on the screen by B. Carmen Hardy. Now, these and other books uh, have a lot of choice information, historical uh, footnotes, and all of the references that you need, uh, the history of uh, much of what we talk about here on the show and other things as well. So if you want to do your own study, you can certainly find that, uh, any of those books, and launch your study. The Relief Society's first organizational meeting was dated March 17, 1842, and Eliza Snow took the minutes. Joseph Smith attended that first meeting, and he gave counsel to the women in the meeting not to injure the character of anyone. Now, this is good counsel. However, Joseph Smith had already... When he was speaking to these women, he had already taken eight plural wives, and seven of those plural wives were members of this new Relief Society. And he was adding more wives rather rapidly. So naturally, for his own protection, he wanted the women to be very careful what they said and whom they said it to. Like I said, Eliza Snow was secretary of the Relief Society and took the minutes of the meetings. And she herself would be, in three months, uh, become Joseph Smith's 14th plural wife. It came, became obvious within a short period of time that Emma was suspicious of her husband's secret polygamy and that she fiercely opposed this so-called higher law of polygamy. Now, in the book Mormon Polygamy by Van Wagner, he tells us that Joseph and Hiram Smith were busy denying polygamy accusations that were being thrown against them. And Emma also used her powerful position of the Relief Society president to protect Joseph Smith from scandal. And she did what she could to, to suppress those nasty rumors of polygamy that was going around. Now, in the minutes of the first meeting, it's recorded by Van Wagner in his book on page 20 that Emma said, and I quote, The members should deal frankly with each other to watch over 
the morals and be very careful of the character and reputation of the members of this institution, meaning, of course, the Relief Society members need to watch over each other, make sure they're not doing anything wrong. It's interesting to note that the Relief Society did develop into a moral tribunal, a watchdog society, especially to defend Joseph's public reputation against rumors of sexual indiscretions, namely polygamy. Emma was becoming increasingly aware of the rumors of Joseph Smith's polygamous shenanigans. She was unaware, however, that Joseph Smith had a hidden agenda in supporting the organization of a relief society and that his agenda was that his plural wives remain unaware of others who were also his plural wives and also that Emma would not discover his polygamist alliances with those women in the Relief Society who were his plural wives. And Joseph Smith used the Relief Society to give certain of his plural wives the job to recruit more plural wives for himself from this group of Relief Society women. Elizabeth Durfee was a recruiter. She was part of the Relief Society. She was a plural wife of Joseph Smith, and she was highly instrumental in approaching potential new wives for Joseph Smith. Now, because of the secret practices of polygamy, a lot of double talk can be detected between the suspicious Emma and the object of her suspicions, Joseph Smith. During the March 10th meeting, or March 30th meeting, Emma read a letter from her husband, and it was a warning, and I quote, it was against iniquitous characters who say they have authority from Joseph or the First Presidency and advising them not to believe anything is coming from us contrary to customs and conduct of society. They were further urged from this letter, and I quote, to denounce any who made polygamous proposals and to shun them, no matter who they were, and that they would be damned for such evil practices. And if you yourselves adhere to anything of the kind, you also shall be damned. Now this is a message that Emma read that her husband, it was from her husband, Joseph Smith, to the Relief Society women, and she wasn't even fully understanding that he was guilty of exactly what he was pronouncing damnation on others for doing and that she was reading this damning threat to actual plural wives of Joseph Smith himself. Now I need to say at this point that Joseph Smith did take his plural wives to bed. There are plenty of journals and affidavits proving that he consummated most, if not all, of his polygamous marriages because I know that we always get people who say that didn't happen when it did. There's, there's written proof of it. Now, Joseph Smith repeatedly warned the Relief Society not to listen to stories that would hurt a reputation, and he said, and I'm quoting from page 121 in Nauvoo Polygamy, he said, quote, I do not want to cloak iniquity. All things contrary to the will of God should be cast from us, but don't do more hurt than good with your tongues, end quote. In other words, Joseph Smith was saying, if you hear something bad being said about me, don't repeat it. Of course, despite his many and varied bedroom antics, Joseph Smith always publicly put forth a virtuous and a righteous image. In response, Emma disagreed with his remarks and said so plainly. She said that sin and sinners should be uncovered 
And this is what she said, quote, Idle rumors and idle talk must be laid aside, yet sin must not be covered, especially those sins which are against the law of God and the laws of the country. Of course, she was referring to polygamy. And she further said, I quote, She wanted none to remain in this society who had violated the laws of virtue. She was alluding to the rumors of polygamy where she was finding out that perhaps Joseph Smith was really doing with these Relief Society women what these rumors were saying. In Nauvoo Polygamy, page 115, we read, By late summer of 1843, most of Emma's friends had either married Joseph or had given their daughters to him. Emma was learning about her husband's many adulteries and was becoming suspicious of some of the Relief Society members. Joseph Smith tried to hide his polygamy, not just from each of his wives and from Emma, but also from the Mormon membership at large. Only his own plural wives and close inner circle friends like Brigham Young and Hiram Smith had, and, and a few others, they were privy to Joseph Smith's polygamist activities, but none else. And even most of his many polygamous wives were unaware of his other wives. In February of 1843, Joseph Smith approached the Relief Society about the frequent rumor that the society was a front organization to conceal his wives or that it was where young women were groomed to be his wives. The following week, the Times and Seasons publication again denied that Joseph Smith ever advocated polygamy. But even as Joseph Smith was challenging the rumors, he was also fueling it. Just a few days after that speech to the Relief Society, he married Emily and Eliza Partridge, making them his 19th and 20th wives. And over the next few months, he would marry seven more women. Of course, the rumors were flying. Also, rumors about Hiram Smith's polygamy was also abounding, and Joseph Smith did what he could to refute those rumors. On March 9th of 1844, Emma presented a denial of polygamy to the Relief Society, and she explained that the women had met that day to deny the slander of Hiram Smith's polygamy. However, at the time, Hiram Smith was the proud polygamist husband of a total of six wives. During that last winter, Emma told the Relief Society ladies, and I quote, that her determination was to do her duty effectively in putting down transgression, that it was high time for mothers to watch over their daughters and exhort them to keep the path of virtue. Joseph Smith at that time had married several more uh, Relief Society members or, had been, or, or he had been given their daughters to him uh, as plural wives. For example, in July of 1842, Joseph Smith married 17-year-old uh, Sarah Ann Whitney. In 1843, Joseph Smith married Flora Ann Woodworth. She was 16 years old. Lucy Walker, 17 years old. Sarah Lawrence, 17 years old. Helen Mark Kimball, 14 years old. Nancy Winchester, 14 years old. Now, he married other women besides these, uh, but this is just an example of his pedophile tendencies. Joseph Smith was 38 years old and was taking girls less than half his age, and two of them haven't even entered into puberty yet. 
In her fight against polygamy, Emma emphasized that the church had publicly declared itself opposed to plural marriage in the Doctrine and Covenants and that the Relief Society's original purpose was to root out iniquity. But contrary to his own sermons on morality, Joseph Smith continued to multiply wives unto himself behind the scenes and with many of the women of the Relief Society or their daughters. Now, the rumors and the charges that Joseph Smith had married several Relief Society women were true. And I quote from Nauvoo Polygamy, page 167, they was, was proven true by Joseph F. Smith in 1869 when he collected affidavits from the women who were involved in the formative period of the organization. So Joseph F. Smith also found affidavits proving that these Relief Society women were actually plural wives of Joseph Smith. In early 1844, the two-year-old Relief Society suspended its operations and it would be more than 20 years and after they migrated to Utah before they would meet again. In Mormon Enigma, we read, and I quote, when Emma had the women take a public oath with their hands raised in support of virtue, she caused enough consternation in the men's councils to stop the Relief Society meetings. Now, no doubt this consternation, she was trying to get the women to agree to live a moral life, not polygamy, and these men who didn't like it were polygamous men. Of course they were consternated, if that's a word. Emma's agenda was to rid Mormonism of polygamy, but the polygamous men wouldn't hear of it. So they disbanded the Relief Society. And I quote again from Mormon Enigma, quote, Mormon President John Taylor explained that the reason why the Relief Society did not continue from the first organization was that Emma Smith, the president, taught the sisters that the principle of celestial marriage as taught and practiced by Joseph Smith was not of God. Note that celestial marriage and polygamy are one and the same thing. So the organization of the Relief Society was because of polygamy and two years later it fell apart because of polygamy. I want to quote again Mormon President John Taylor. He said, in 1880, John Taylor, remembering Emma Smith's attitudes and actions, concurred only that it was because of Emma's opposition to polygamy that the society had to be discontinued. Sister Emma got severely tried in her mind about the doctrine of plural marriage, and she made use of the position she held to try to pervert the minds of the sisters in relation to that doctrine. The Relief Society, as an organization for the time being, ceased to be. The Relief Society began and ended because of polygamy. Yet the official history of the Relief Society states that the Relief Society's meetings, quote, were suspended in 1844 due to the various calamities which befell the saints. Well, the unmentioned calamity was polygamy. From a book that was published in 1886 called Women of Mormonism by Jenny Anderson Froiseth, and after the migration to Utah and after the Relief Society was reorganized in Utah, in that book in chapter 12, we read, and I quote, 
We have before alluded to an organization of women which exists in this territory under the name of the Female Relief Society. This association was not formed for the purpose of relieving the poor and needy, for do not all the Mormon emissaries abroad declare that there are no paupers in Zion, no poverty or misery among this industrious, thrifty, and godly people? But it will be seen that there were other and more potent reasons for the existence of these societies. It is by means of their organization that such a complete system of espionage is kept over the Mormon people and the policy of the church is so rigidly enforced. It is this complete organization that had made the Mormon power as absolute a despotism over its own people as ever existed upon earth. Chapter 12 went on to say that the Relief Society was organized by the command of church leadership, that it had two principal object, object, objectives, <laughs> tongue-tied, the, the two objectives were the propagation of polygamy and the gathering of tithes. And those tithes would especially be used for the purpose of corrupting members of Congress and subsidizing the national press. That's what it says. We wonder if that practice has stopped. We continue to read in chapter 12, and I quote, at the meetings of these societies, the main topics of discussion are the principles of polygamy, subservience to husbands, and implicit obedience to the holy priesthood. The young girls are brought to these meetings every week and the principles of polygamy thoroughly and systematically inculcated. When they are 14 or 16 years of age and are told that they must be sealed to brother so-and-so and that thus their eternal happiness and glory will be assured, they go to the endowment house and become the plural wives of the brothers selected almost without hesitation. And so the young girl will take a step that not, not only ruins her happiness on earth, but too frequently causes her to lose faith in both God and man. Were it not for certain of these women, the organization could not live a year, but they make a semi-annual tour of the territory, holding revival meetings, expounding the beauties and glories of a polygamous life, and exhorting the sisters to be faithful followers of the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Of course, these women are regarded very highly for their services in propagating the peculiar doctrine and in continually furnishing new victims to be sacrificed on the altar of that insatiable monster, polygamy, end quote. That's sad. Of course, the LDS Church has swept under the rug most of the early Relief Society information as it relates to polygamy, recruiting plural wives from within polygamy, er, the Relief Society, and spying on each other. They've applied the Clorox They've whitewashed it to the squeaky, cleaned-up version that they present to the world today. But, like most of Mormonism, you must research historical documentation to find the truth because the church proper has rewritten its own history and in rewriting their history, they have only proven that they cannot be trusted and just like they forced their members to repent when caught in fraudulent activities, the church leaders and the polygamy group leaders also need to confess and repent.
So that's what I had tonight for the Relief Society and polygamy. There is much more information about it, and you can go to those books that I mentioned or other places and find. And again, these are all documented, and there's much more that I didn't choose to put on the show tonight. We're going to open up the phone lines now. A little bit early, but I do have some letters that I want to share with you. So we're going to take our break, our ministry message, as we open up the phone lines. If you want to call in and weigh in on this uh, discussion tonight, or it's wide open and we don't have a guest, and so we're not confined to one particular topic, you can call in and talk about any of the other topics we've discussed in the past as well. Our telephone number is 801 973 801 TV20. So you can begin calling in and we will share our message with you now. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And we've been talking about 
the origins of the Mormon Relief Society and how it is connected with polygamy. In fact, it was a front organization for Joseph Smith to recruit plural wives for himself. Uh, again, I want to state that um, I am not in any way saying that the Relief Society today has any connection with that whatsoever. As far as I know, it does not. But it, the origins, the origins of Mormonism, almost everything that deals with uh, some of the Mormonism of today had its basis and its foundation in polygamy. And our telephone lines are open. The number is 801-973-TV20, uh, 973-8820. We welcome your telephone calls if you'd like to call in and discuss anything regarding polygamy. During the viewer telephone call-in portion of our shows that, that we're having right now, we're often unable to take all of the calls that come in. Some calls come in too late for us to answer them on the air, and some people will call in and leave a message with the operator um, that, that, because they don't want to get on the air for some reason, and they leave their question then. So uh, we don't often get time to um, approach or address those questions, so we thought we'd take some time now to answer some of the questions that we have so far been unable to answer on the air. One of them uh, came in from a woman named Holly from Centerville, and she asked, what difference is there between the LDS and the FLDS? Well, FLDS stands for the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the greatest difference between the two is the doctrine of polygamy. Both the LDS and the FLDS believe in Joseph Smith. They believe in a restored gospel. They believe in a, in a living prophet and in a restored priesthood. The main difference, of course, is polygamy. However, since they both believe in Joseph Smith, and it was Joseph Smith who claimed that God told him to restore polygamy as a higher law, which would allow humans to achieve the high celestial glory and become gods, and since the foundational teachings of Joseph Smith is held as a higher value for living by the FLDS and other polygamy groups, we can correctly state that the LDS is in apostasy to Joseph Smith and the FLDS are living true Mormonism as Joseph Smith preached it. I'd like to remind our viewers that the FLDS is only one of the many Joseph Smith-based polygamy groups. They all live Mormonism more closely than the Mormon Church lives Joseph Smith's Mormonism. And I'd also like to remind viewers that if Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or John Taylor or Wilfred Woodruff or Heber C. Kimball or Orson Pratt or Joseph F. Smith or Heber J. Grant or Lorenzo Snow were alive today, they would never be alive allowed to join the Mormon church or show any church worthiness to enter their Mormon temples. However, if any of these same men apply to any of the polygamy groups for membership, they and their entourage of wives would be welcomed with open arms. Isn't that kind of ironic? We had a call from Ross from South Jordan. Uh, we were unable to answer and he asked the question, where was Jesus between his death and resurrection? Well, that is a very good question. I've heard the question before, and I, I, I'm going uh, to answer that question by starting off with a statement that Jesus did not come to the American continent either before or after his resurrection. 
Now, in John chapter 20, verse 17, after Jesus was resurrected, he told Mary Magdalene, as you know the story, um, she clung to him after she saw him in the garden, and he told her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, many people think that Jesus didn't go to the Father after he died on the cross because of that statement. But that's not what he's saying. He, he's not saying that he didn't go into heaven in his spirit after he died on the cross because he did. What this is saying is that he had not gone into heaven in his resurrected body yet. He had to present himself to the Father as the first fruits of the resurrection. Mary needed to let him go so he could do that. Now, the first fruits, if you recall, when Jesus was here, he made the remark, or he said that he came to fulfill the law. Everything was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the first fruits was an Old Testament law that Jesus fulfilled. There was an Old Testament offering from the first of the harvest, which was presented before God, and it was representative of the promise of the harvest to follow and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ at his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, it was necessary to offer all first fruits to God, and Jesus was the first fruits from the dead, and he needed to go and do that very thing. While he was on the cross, Jesus saved one of the two criminals. In Luke 23, verse 43, he, it says, uh, He said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And in verse 46, Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So in Luke uh, uh, verse 43, he promises today that he will be with Jesus in paradise. Now, paradise is in heaven. And then in verse 46, Jesus is, is committing his spirit to the Father. So obviously, at his death, Jesus was immediately with the Father in his spirit, but his body was buried in the grave. Immediately after the criminal died, he was with Jesus in heaven as Jesus had promised. Now Hebrews tells us that Jesus brought his blood into the heavenly sanctuary and presented it as an atonement for our sins. Hebrews 9, 23 and 24 says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. And then in chapter 10, verse 12, it says, But when this priest, who is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus went into heaven with his blood of the new covenant shed on the cross. After three days, Jesus arose from the grave in his resurrected body. Mary Magdalene saw him and hugged him. But in order to fulfill the first fruits, Jesus immediately went to the Father in his resurrected body. Then came back to his disciples. After 40 days, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, which means he is and has all the power and authority of God Almighty because Jesus Christ is 
God Almighty. So I hope that answers your question and I hope it's not in too much detail. I thought we had some calls there, but I don't see them. So um, it looks like there's a light on, but we don't have the call. Uh, we invite you to call in and uh, tell us, ask your questions or tell us what you think about uh, some of the things that we talk about and the topics we talk about on our show. Our next letter, uh, or phone call I should say, came from Mike. Uh, he called in during the October 18th uh, show, but we were unable to talk with him before our time ran out. His question was, the Bible says, if you look on another woman in lust, you've committed adultery. If then a polygamous man looks on another woman to make her his plural wife, has he already committed adultery and polygamy? That's a great question. Now it's obvious that all of this is a matter of, of your heart and your motives. God knows that our hearts are deceitful, that they are wicked and they are without cure. Jeremiah 17, 9. Go pull your Bible and read that verse because that's what God says about our hearts. In order to please God, we must get a new heart which God gives to us when we're born again at our conversion to Christianity. Now, Jesus said that it's what's in our hearts that comes out of our mouths and affects our behavior. If sexual lust is in our hearts, then it will come out in our thoughts and in our deeds and in lust. So the answer to your question is yes. If merely looking with desire is adultery, then looking, taking, and consummation in a polygamous relationship is technically going to bed with another person's spouse, and the Bible calls that adultery. Okay. We do have a call here. Uh, her name is Tricia, calling from Lehigh. Hello, Tricia. Hi, Doris. Hello. How are you this evening? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I have a couple questions. I wonder if I could first ask, why do you feel that the, um, the LDS Church pushes the uh, Relief Society so strongly? Why do you feel that they think that that is such an important part of their church. Well, it's a good organization today, and, and it actually what, what Emma Smith wanted it to be in her day, it would have been a good organization. It just wasn't what Joseph Smith wanted. Um, so the organization, what it's doing today, of course, it keeps the women busy so they don't have time to, you know, check out the facts of, of their religion if they so wanted to, but that isn't the point. The point is, it is a good society. It does a lot of good things for the church and for the community. Okay. Um, how do you feel, why do you feel that the, um, I mean, where it came from, why do you feel that it was such a negative thing for Joseph Smith to have that revelation, and, and why was it in, in the past sort of a bad thing? And what revelation? Like a, what, what? like a mind control, I guess, of, of the women, would what, you say? What, rev what revelation are you referring to, polygamy? No, 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 just when he organized, when they organized the Relief Society. You mean the revelation that queens of the earth would come and give them all their money and, and um, in the, within 10 years? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Oh. Uh, well, Joseph Smith was free with his prophecies. He, he did that a lot. 
Uh, and you, if you read the Doctrine and Covenants and read some of the history, you'll find out that he was always saying something that would promote what he wanted to have promoted. And that's what he was doing there. And he wanted the women to feel important and he wanted Emma to, to feel important, of course, in doing what they were doing. He even offered them some kind of a priesthood authority um, in the Relief Society. It didn't go very far, but still it was the undercurrent there. Uh, but it was a good place for the women to gather and where the men would knew where they were and for Joseph Smith to pick plural wives. Right, okay. Well, I, I appreciate your insight. I am a member of the LDS Church and um, it is interesting to hear your side of things. It isn't my side. Look Wait forward a to hearing your Trisha, show on Thursday. Trisha, Trisha. I appreciate it. This is a great <laughs> night. I get to go see Twilight tonight and talk to Doris. Trisha. So have a great evening and baba booey to you all. Okay, Trisha. Well, she wouldn't let me talk, so I'll talk when she's gone. It wasn't my side, Trisha. All of this was quotes. This is not my side. This is history. This is the history that has not been Cloroxed by the modern-day Mormon church. And I quoted, find those books that we mentioned at the beginning of the show and read for yourself. It's not my side. I merely reported what I read. Okay, off the air question. What does the Relief Society do today? We just talked about that on the last phone call. They do a lot of things. They, they, help the, they do help the poor. They do help people who are in need. They do have women's groups. And they, they just, uh, you know, if you want to really look into it, I'm not in the Relief Society. And I was raised in the, the polygamy group who did not have a Relief Society. So you can go online and, and Google Relief Society and find out a lot about what the Relief Society does. But again, I need to say, I'm not referring to today's Relief Society in tonight's show. It was the early Relief Society organized by Joseph Smith. And of course, uh, it was for his purpose and for his agenda. Okay, we have, all call we have more calls coming in, but they're not ready yet, so I'll go to the next um, uh, question that we didn't get answered on the show. Actually, this was a call that came in three weeks ago uh, the caller had called the wrong number during the show, and he wanted to ask an off-the-air question. He wanted to know if plural wives were allowed to vote, or if just the men and their first wives were allowed to vote. And since the question came into the wrong telephone, we, we couldn't answer his question until tonight. And which I would like to say right now, if for anybody who, who wants to call in regarding the show, you have to call this number, 801-973-8820. Uh, 8820 was TV 20. Don't call any of the other numbers that you've seen in our break because the, they, don't, they don't deal with the show and your question won't get answered. If you leave a message, you're not going to get uh, the question answered on the show. So be sure you call the television show number for the show questions. Now, uh, to answer his questions about polygamous women voting, every American citizen can vote and polygamous wives are no exception. Uh, living polygamy really has no bearing on whether or not they can or cannot vote. And as far as I know, the polygamous men haven't kept their plural wives from the voting booth. In fact, in the early Mormon polygamous church, uh, the more wives a man had, the more powerful his vote was because they foresaw that if, if the women had the vote 
it would ensure that their candidate got into office, and that's exactly what happened. What, what the way they they worked it around is that if a man had, say, eleven wives, they were instructed to vote according to how their husband told them to vote, and they wouldn't dare vote otherwise. So when they went into the voting booth to cast their vote, uh, the the candidate would get. 12 votes from that one household, the 11 wives plus the man. And they, like I say, they would, they would vote the way their husband told them to because they would find out if they didn't because they did not have the secret ballot in early Mormon Utah. They didn't have the secret ballot in the voting year. So to answer your question, and I hope that did so, um, yes, the polygamous wives can vote uh, if you're an American citizen. Uh, you can vote. Okay, we have a call coming from Bountiful. Uh, Brian is calling. Hello, Brian. Yes, Doris. I was just wondering how do you deal with with when you've got hatred feelings towards the Mormon Church like I do because of this polygamy stuff, and and I think this stuff is evil, and and I I don't want to have hatred feelings towards the Mormon Church or towards anything, but. I can't help it. It makes me feel, it makes me feel hate inside. Brian, have you um, have you become a Christian yet? Yeah, I, I. You left the Mormon Church. Have you become a Christian? Do you do you read the Bible? Do you pray to Jesus? Yeah, I read the Bible and I pray pray to Jesus. And, and have you given your life to Jesus and asked Him to forgive you of your sins? Yes. Okay then Jesus will be your strength to be rid of that hate because he doesn't want us to hate either. You know, Jesus died for people who are caught up in false religions. And the people who are caught up in these religions, the polygamous religions and the, the Mormon church and other false religions too, Jesus loves them and we need to love who Jesus loves. Um, and so if you ask him to, to pour out his love into your heart so that you can pour it out to your Mormon neighbors or friends, he will help you deal with that. And then realize the gospel that Jesus died for you and for all of the wrong things that you did and forgave you so you can forgive others all the things that they've done. And that should help you apply the gospel to your own life and change your heart. Thank you. That sounds very good. And read the Gospel of John, and especially if you read 1 John. Um, there's five chapters in 1 John, and the whole book talks so much about love, God's love. Try that, too. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Bye. Bye. Cynthia is calling from Cottonwood Heights. Hello, Cynthia. Hi. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, nice to speak with you, Doris. Thank you. Um, I have a question for you regarding um, Joseph Smith. Re regarding what? Cynthia, I cannot understand you. Is do you have oh. a, your phone? Well, it might be my cell phone. Yeah, your phone is bleeping out. I can't even catch what you're saying. Okay. Hello. Maybe she's going to try on another phone. It sounded like maybe that's what she would do. Um, she must have had a cell phone that wasn't coming through very good. Okay, uh, another call coming in on line three. We have Shelby from Salt Lake City. Hello, Shelby. Shelby. Woohoo. I guess she didn't want to talk very bad. 
Okay, <laughs> on and off that fast. Okay, now this, um, after we just got the call from Brian in Bountiful, this may be kind of a strange uh, call to, to talk about, but we need to talk about these things, so I will. It was from an anonymous caller who left um, an, a message during the show, and I didn't get it until after the show was over, and he said, why do people follow Joseph Smith and believe his lies? The scriptures warns us against those who have lying spirits as their guides. And then he referenced 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And I'll read those uh, scriptures. It says, the, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Now, this is another great question, and I like this particular verse because it says if any religion tells you that you can't have to abstain from certain foods, it is not a doctrine from God. So remember that next time you ask the temple question, if you are living the word of wisdom. Now, why do they follow Joseph Smith, especially since he's been proven to be a fraud, is a good question. Because they refuse to believe historical evidence. They refuse to check it out. In a word, they've been brainwashed. Because the leadership of uh, Mormonism from its very beginning continues to whitewash his character, what he did and said, and instead of repenting like they tell everyone else to do, they hide his and their own sins of deception, sweeping it under the rug, sweeping their deceits and his under the rug, and then they prance on forward repeatedly, repeating their deceitfulness regarding their villainous leader. All followers of Joseph Smith are going to be held accountable someday for their failure to obey God while continuing to cling to Joseph Smith. What a frightful day that is going to be for them. Okay, line one, Valerie in Sandy. Hello, yeah, Valerie. I'm home from the hospital after having her Hello? touch me in that. Mm -hmm. She got in touch with her visiting team. Well, I guess Valerie and Sandy wasn't ready. <laughs> so I have a letter here while we're waiting for Valerie and Sandy to be ready. I don't know how we'll find out. Um, this is an email that came in a while back, and I hadn't read this one on the air yet. And it says, I must be frank and say that I don't totally agree with everything on your show, but I find it very interesting. Many things I do agree with. I've seen many things in the LDS church that bother me, and I lo no longer can accept. I dedicated my whole life and devotion to them and traveled widely as keynote speaker at many of their women's, teens, and adult conferences. I was well-known and sanctioned. Then when I went public with my history of sexual abuse, I was shunned and released from my callings and treated like I had a social plague. It cut me to the core, but it also started me questioning, which I would never have done otherwise. Thanks for all the devoted hours you give. I watched my cousins suffer because of polygamy in their family. A few of them got brave enough to leave, thank goodness. It's terrible the way the little ones are abused and have to suffer, and the teens as well, and the wives. Oh, how God must surely weep when he sees his children suffer so. Be well and keep up the good work. 
I want to thank this lady for having the courage to write this. Unfortunately, I've heard stories like this before where a woman has been caught in some kind of a sexual abuse and if she talks about it, she's the one who is often ostracized because of it. And it is uh, another letter proving that although our, our show is specifically geared at polygamous and how polygamy is never God's will uh, or never has been a requirement for eternal life. We are also touching people in other areas of life and not just the polygamy groups and we're grateful for that. And for people who want to step forward and talk, give me a call, email me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'd love to know your story. Okay, um, is Valerie and Sandy ready? Hello, Valerie. Yes. Oh, there you are. Okay, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Doris. Um, my husband and I are now ex-Mormon, but many years ago, um, when we were first married and he was in the service, uh, we lived in North Dakota, and of course it was a branch uh, up there. But um, one of the ladies that I had to be a visiting teacher to um, came to my door one day uh, in tears, and she asked me if I could please take care of her two daughters because she was having some problems with depression and needed to go to the hospital. Um, I gladly told her we'll be more than happy to take care of your daughters for you until you're well enough to come home. Well, during that time, it was winter, and the North Dakota winters are horrible. And so these two young girls, uh, the oldest one was eight, the youngest one was six, they didn't have warm clothes to wear for the winter. The one little girl's coat didn't even have buttons so she could do up her coat. They didn't have boots, they didn't have gloves, and I thought, you know, this isn't right. These two young girls, you know, destitute. So I called the Relief Society president, and I explained to her the situation, and I said, can we in our next Relief Society meeting announced that these two young girls, you know, need some clothes, anything, hand-me-downs, whatever. Um, nothing was ever done. So I thought, okay, I will go and talk to the branch president, and I, which I did. And I was shocked at the comment that he made to me because he said, we will not be helping these little girls because their mother doesn't attend her meetings as she should and they don't deserve the church's help. Hmm. That was one of the reasons why I started questioning, you know, Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And so I have found that, you know, during the next few years, um, the Relief Society to me seemed more like a very clicky group, that if you were, you know, a, a prominent person within the ward, your husband was a prominent person in the ward, or that you were a person of wealth, that if you needed any kind of help, they were right there to help you. Well, but if you were someone yeah. who was poor, didn't have, you know, a prominent position or status, well, Valerie, let me let you me pretty say, much got ignored. Valerie, let me, let me say here, uh, I, of course, every, every place would be different. Uh, I've heard the same stories in different areas, and I've heard different stories in different areas. It depends on who's in charge and who's running the show um, for the most part. I'm sure that's not their policy, but then again, it's different with different places. So uh, it's, it's sad that that happened, but 
uh, I do appreciate your call and we do appreciate your watching the show tonight. You know, many of our viewers get very upset with us when we discuss early Mormon history and the deceitful pranks and the false doctrines of Joseph Smith. You should read some of the nasty responses we get for even daring to say anything negative about Joseph Smith. But you know, how do you think God feels when he is accused and when his character is misjudged and when nasty things are said about him? Why is it okay for people to slam God, but those same people would hardly dare say anything negative about Joseph Smith? Why is it okay for them to redefine Jesus, who he is, and why he came, and how he worked our eternal life on the cross? But one negative word about Joseph Smith in Mormon or polygamous circles, and that person is consigned to the lower regions of hell. But God and His character are rarely, if ever, defended. In fact, God is blamed for more evil sometimes than the devil is. Don't you think that some folks need to reevaluate who their priority is? About Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Salvation then is not in your religion, it is not in your prophet, it is not in Joseph Smith, and it's not in your doctrine of marriage. The name of Joseph Smith needs to be devalued. The practice of and the trust in celestial marriage needs to be replaced with Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Jesus is the one to whom we pray for forgiveness. Jesus is the only one to follow because He alone knows the way and paved the way to heaven. We want to thank you for watching the show tonight. We hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving next week. See you next time on Polygamy, What Love Is This? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.